Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, April 26th. We have an arena deal for the city of Calgary again. What makes this one different, and when might we finally see a new entertainment district take shape in the city? We get the thoughts of Mayor Jokey Gondek. Tuesday's announcement on the new Arena Event Centre project certainly carries a bigger price tag than the previous plan, so does it make economic sense for Calgarians and Albertans for that matter? We discuss with Moshe Lander, economics professor with a specialization in sports from Concordia University. And finally, it's being called a game changer. New research out of the University of Alberta has discovered a way to produce hydrogen and purify water at the same time. We learn about the new technology and the impact it could have on the energy production industry here at home and across the globe. It's been a controversial topic and a political hot potato, but a $1.2 billion deal has been reached on a new Calgary Arena project to replace the old Saddle Dome. Joining us to break it down is one of the big players, Calgary Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Good morning, Madam Mayor. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. How are you doing? Excellent. Thank you. Okay, let's break it down. Big announcement came down yesterday. Who's paying how much and what are we getting? Well, it is a deal between four parties. So City of Calgary, uh, the province of Alberta, Calgary Sports and Entertainment Corporation, and Calgary Stampede. In terms of contributions, uh, the city will be putting in $537.3 million. The province is in for $330 million. And Calgary Sports and Entertainment Corporation is in for $356 million. How does this compare as far as what the uh, city uh, coffers are, are shelling out uh, to, compared to the previous deal? I believe you mentioned $537 million this time out. How much was the previous tab going to be? Last time was uh, just over three hundred. I believe it was three twelve. dollars um, But that was for the facility itself. And there was cost overruns anticipated. And ultimately, it was inflation and supply chain issues that really brought that previous deal to a close. So this time, we're much more realistic. We are focused on delivering not only a facility, but actually the district within which that facility will operate. This deal also includes a community rink, which is a benefit to all Calgarians. And we're going to be able to do the infrastructure improvements that were missing from the previous deal, such as the 6th Street underpass, um, improvements along a few of the avenues, so it's easier to get in and out of the site and indoor and outdoor um, event spaces. So this is really looking at revitalizing an area that right now is just open parking lots and turning it into a destination. So, I mean, this is obviously the dollar figure is much bigger than the original deal or the last deal. But you think, do or I guess I should ask you, do you think it is worth it? I mean, this has been a long time coming. There's a lot of negotiation from all sides involved. Is it worth the price tag for what you, you now say we're going to be getting? Well, I would invite people to look just north of where this site is at East Village. When we contemplated the Rivers District as a city, we uh, created a community revitalization levy, which essentially means for a specific period of time, any of the tax uplift that's in that area goes right back into that area to pay for some of the infrastructure upgrades. So we had to uh, raise street levels and put in a lot of the servicing under the ground. It was a $400 million investment, and we have attracted $3 billion of private sector investment. There is an amazing residential community there. There's a commercial core. And that's the type of thing that the investment in this new culture and entertainment district stands to attract things like hotels, restaurants, businesses, and homes. 
Uh, within the deal, it's listed that the event center would be owned by the city of Calgary. What does this mean to Calgarians as far as perhaps revenue moving forward? Well, it's an asset for Calgary. Um, the other thing is we are not going to be implicating municipal taxation in this at all. We're not taking on new debt. We were able to come up with the amount uh, by using uh, some of our reserves and also taking the money that was earmarked for the previous deal. So there's no tax implications here. Um, and I also think it's important to understand that um, having that asset as well as the neighboring asset of the community rink really is a great thing for Calgarians that are wishing to, you know, come down and play some hockey or take in an event, whether it's a concert, whether it's a game. It's a really good opportunity. Yeah, can you break that down a little bit more for us? What does it look like in terms of the, the community rink part of it? And and how, how will that draw more concerts, et cetera, as well as a whole? You know, we miss out, as we've heard. It's it's always been the roof of the Saddle Dome. So this, this now, the design, the idea of this whole kind of concept will bring in just a lot more revenue from all sides, you think? Yeah, when it comes to the event center, um, the existing facility we have with the Saddle Dome, um, and I've said this often, only has one loading bay. And I want you to imagine that there's 20 trucks coming in to set up for a concert. If you only have one bay, they've got to go in and out of there 20 times just to offload the equipment and then to get it out of there again to set up for the next thing. Um, Modern facilities have anywhere from 5 to 10 to 15 uh, loading bays. It makes it much easier to um, do a turnover of an event coming in and the one that comes in after. So that's something that's going to be pretty key. Um, When it comes to the community rink, not only is it going to be accessible to um, amateur sport, but it is possible to have various kinds of events in there. We have seen this in other cities. So that's the kind of activity that we're really looking forward to. What uh, plans or safeguards, uh, Madam Mayor, are in place to keep this deal on track and ensure it isn't derailed by unforeseen future costs? We've we've seen this sort of thing play out in the past. Uh, what, What protocols are in place this time? Well, I can tell you that uh, the agreements in principle that we have seen um, have a lot of risk mitigation built into them. Um, The confidential documents that I can't talk about, the memorandums of understanding, letters of intent, um, those are much more specific. So when we get to the point of having definitive agreements, which we imagine will happen in the next little while here, we'll be able to share more with Calgarians. But rest assured that because we've got four parties all of whom have been actively engaged in this. And we've really leveraged the experience of CAA ICON as our consultants who have done this before. Um, We've got a lot of those measures in place to ensure the deal stays on track. Uh, Let's put the politics into this uh, conversation just for a moment, if we could. Uh, We heard from NDP leader Rachel Notley, the opposition, as we do get closer to a provincial election. Uh, Notley saying, you know, before it was a 50-50 private-public partnership. Taxpayers now responsible for more than 70% of the cost. We know that uh, current Premier Danielle Smith was involved. How do we make sure that um, the upcoming provincial election and nobody you know, is able to get in and, and kind of scuttle a deal when it comes to the political side of things? Well, we live in interesting times. <laughs> so um, as the person that needs to be apolitical in this, um, I will not take a partisan approach, but I will structure it this way. The infrastructure improvements that are needed, the upgrades to the roadways, the uh, creation of plazas and indoor and outdoor event spaces, that money was lacking in the last deal and we have it this time around so that is a very big win for calgarians and i would say that whoever forms government um, should look very carefully at the uplift this brings 
to that area and the ability when that community revitalization levy is lifted, the ability to have that uh, amount of tax flow into all areas of the city. That would be a win for everyone, and that's what I would want them to stay focused on. All right, before we let you go, uh, obviously the talks, it has been a long time coming. When can we expect to see shovels in the ground, and when can Sue be uh, buying tickets for Def Leppard and checking out <laughs> you know, the, the concert at, at the new event center? Well, I think Def Leppard is always with the Scorpions now, so it's sort of a <laughs> Good double point. ticket. Yes. Good point. Um, I think what we will um, do at this point is, is tell you and remind everyone again that we are approaching the definitive agreement stage. And once we have everything inked, we can share much more with you. Once those deals are in place, we can start talking about design. We can start talking about construction. We can talk about the number of jobs that will be generated and the impact to the economy. But we can't do that yet until we get to that um, signed definitive agreement stage. Do, so we don't know when the signatures will go onto the piece of paper? Uh, we would like that to happen as quickly as possible. So we are moving in that direction right away. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Calgary Mayor Jyoti Gondek. $1.2 billion. That is the price tag attached to the latest event center arena deal with Calgary taxpayers on the hook for 70% of the cost. Joining us to crunch the numbers and talk about the economic impact of a project like this is Moshe Lander, economics professor at Concordia University. Good morning, Moshe. Hello. Basic question to start it off. I think I know what you're going to say. Who comes out ahead on a deal like this? Calgary Sports Entertainment comes out (laughs) ahead. They get a new arena and they're putting up about 25% of the cost. And that project is double what we were talking about when this fell apart uh, a little over a year ago. Okay, so the scale of 1 to 10 or in what terms can you describe how much better the other deal would have been from a few years ago? Um, well, you know, I I would say maybe a seven or eight, but I'll put the caveat on that we don't really know what that arena was a year and a half ago, right? We we always saw the the artist rendering of what looked like a library to me more than an event center, um, but we never saw the specs, right? How many seats and what's it going to look like? And uh, we still don't know what the new one's going to look like. So I I think that if we're just looking at numbers alone, uh, you know, half a billion as opposed to one point whatever which of course is going to go up once the construction begins uh i think the old one was better for the taxpayer okay so why not good for the taxpayers i mean let's face it it's going to be a an economic boon isn't it i mean people are going to come from far and wide there's a we can do concerts we've got a new ice rink we've got an entertainment district this is great news (laughs) do you believe that or no i just know you're going to tell me i'm wrong (laughs) Yeah. yeah Um, no, I mean, you, you already have an NHL team, you have an AHL team, you have a WHL team, like everybody's already there, right? So nobody uh, new is coming to Calgary because of that. Uh, fine, you pick up a Taylor Swift concert, you pick up a Katy Perry concert, uh, you might get folded into hosting the the entry draft and an all-star game, but that's going to be once every 32 years. So we'll be talking about the next new arena by the time that it rolls around again. Uh, how many how many extra events are you going to get to justify an extra seven hundred million dollars above the original deal? But Moshe, we've heard this time and time again. If we don't build it, the flames are gone. We will not have an NHL franchise. What do you say to that? We're we're playing all our old hits here, aren't we? <laughs> um, 
No, the Flames weren't leaving. They they never were leaving. Uh, you can't just up and move a franchise. I know that there was speculation that without an arena they would leave, but you would have to get the Flames and 23 other owners to agree to let them go somewhere else. And so unless the ownership group was going to sell to somebody, uh, say like in Houston, uh, this ownership group were, would never be able to show their faces again in Calgary if they tried to move the team, even if they could somehow get those other owners to agree to it. Um, the NHL is designed, like most sports leagues, to make sure that there are more markets that want teams than there are markets that have teams. And so by creating that excess demand, that's what relentlessly drives up the prices of these franchises. And that's why billionaires become multi-billionaires. Um, they, they know that the game, uh, and by creating that fear and concern that the Flames might leave town, is exactly what leads to city councillors and provincial officials handing over hundreds of millions of dollars uh, for, for the new toy. Moshe, we, we have had this discussion over and over again with you over the past handful of years as we thought that the original deal was going to go through and that it didn't. But honestly, you know, as, a, as a, um, an economics professor where you focus on sports, what cities have seen a, a great economic impact, a positive economic impact from building something like this? None, really. I, I know that the immediate call is going to be that, wait a second, take a look at what's happened to, to Edmonton. I am an Edmonton resident. I'm also a Calgary resident. Um, what, what went on in Edmonton and what goes on in a lot of these cities is that you can see growth sprout up uh, when a new arena or a new stadium is parachuted into an area that's already starting to grow. Uh, so the illusion is that, say, you know, the Ice District in Edmonton has benefited greatly by the move from Northlands into downtown. But what you don't see is all of the economic destruction that that new arena brings in the surrounding areas, right? So when you build a new arena uh, in downtown Edmonton, for example, Northlands becomes a ghost town. Probably was a ghost town to begin with, but it's now a complete ghost town. Uh, and so all of the businesses and activity that would have been going on there just moves to downtown. And so it's really just an exercise in displacement. In Calgary's case, all they're doing is just moving to the north parking lot and so, really, you're not creating a whole lot of new business. All you're really providing, then, is the bars on 17th Ave or even up on Stephen Ave is just the certainty that they don't have to think about moving in the next 20 to 30 years, and they can just get on with business now. We are, we're being told at this point, and again, we still need the uh, you know, pages to be signed, but this will not cost taxpayers more money. We will not see an increase as a Calgary taxpayer, for example. However, when we look at, uh, we did see it published, I believe, last year, might have been last spring, uh, the prices that, uh, you know, our friends up north in the ice district are paying for a combo. There was a you can get a beer and a hot dog for twenty dollars and seventy five cents, um, higher than we're playing in the dome. Although people complain already what we pay in the dome for concessions and beer, uh, can we expect the same? Do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, part of what's driving the the price increase in Edmonton is that the team is having some modicum of success too, right? And so success is usually what drives those prices higher. Um, but you know, the the Saddle Dome has long been increasingly. Uh, pricing out of the market the average fan. Uh, so when they move to the new arena, for sure you're going to see a jump in, in prices. Um, and if the Flames can somehow rebuild a team and put uh, something highly competitive out when the, when the arena opens, that, that would drive prices uh, higher still. Um, but again, you can only sell so many hot dogs and beers to, to come up with $700 million, uh, to, to cover the, the uh, city and province share. 
Moshe, I know you're uh, an economics professor and not a politician, but uh, politics is going to play a, a role in this. We've got an election looming in Alberta. Do you think this is going to have an effect as we move forward on a deal or no deal? Yeah, and actually, I'll be honest with you, that was my first thought when I started seeing my phone blow up yesterday that the deal was done. It was, well, that's convenient with an election about to be called. Uh, and when you see the premier showing up in a Flames jersey and uh, kind of dangling not so quietly that, hey, if you like this, I got more of it coming if you vote for me in five weeks. Um, yeah, it's politics. And, you know, what really concerns me is... Uh, is this really a done deal? Because if, let's say, the province flips uh, and we have Rachel Notley uh, as premier-elect in five weeks' time, is she going to say, I don't support this deal or I want to go back to the drawing board or I want to take a look at the numbers uh, and could quickly find that this is not a deal? Uh, so, yeah, there is a political hand here, which is if you in Calgary want this done once and for all, uh, you know who to vote for in five weeks. It, it, it's, it's very political. Interesting conversation, Moshe. Thanks for your time this morning. I know it's fresh and we're all getting our bearings, but we knew you'd have an opinion. Thank you so much. You got it. Moshe Lander is an economics professor from Concordia University. It's been called a game changer. Researchers from the University of Alberta have discovered a way to produce hydrogen while purifying water at the same time. To discuss the implication of this breakthrough, we are joined by Robin Hamilton, U of A Senior Research Associate, Faculty of Science, and David Antonyuk. CEO and co-founder of Applied Quantum Materials Incorporated. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Thank you for being here. So this does sound a little bit over my head. So I'm hoping you can help us out. I'm not sure which one of you would like to take this, but what makes this unique compared to the previous process that would be used as a, a catalyst, so to speak? Uh, the big difference is that we can do it at room temperature, which is uh, it's honestly mind-blowing. Uh, so normally, if you're looking at typical processes, uh, they're they're very high temperature. Uh, if you're just doing it with water, sometimes it's 2,000 degrees Celsius. Uh, other ones that use catalytic methods, those are normally around five, 600 degrees Celsius. So the fact that we can do it at room temperature uh, is, it just means that you don't need to have any kind of... Uh, other input of energy so uh, the implications are uh, just imagine you know northern indigenous communities where there's no access to uh, natural gas or uh, areas where their electrical grid isn't as stable places like africa we're getting uh, a lot of interest uh, from those regions just because they can't uh, generate electricity uh, continuously but with this process all you need is water uh, and you can make hydrogen and feed it into a fuel cell, feed it into uh, a generator and, and treat it just like you would your diesel generator to, to power your home. Robin, was that you that just answered that? Yeah, that was Robin. Sorry. Okay, thank you. So, David, I'm going to ask you then. Just uh, you know, in terms of, for most of us, we don't really understand the the production of hydrogen, how it all works, but obviously, water is involved. So, is is that something that you know is super important in terms of this being called a game changer? That the, the purifying of the water used at the same time is is really kind of what's also a, a big deal for us now. Well, um, in most cases, um, you've heard of uh, water electrolysis. You need electricity. You got to have electricity. You put the electrodes in the water, and it produces hydrogen and oxygen. 
This process does not do that. Um, we don't need electricity to start off the process. And um, electrolysis requires purified water to start. So you need to distill it. It's got to be purified. It's an extra cost and inconvenience. In Robin's discovery, he's found out that um, any type of water works. Um, in fact, dirty water, brine water, salt water, uh, sea water uh, works actually better. So in the process of, um, of uh, producing the hydrogen, uh, we then can, uh, the water then becomes more purified because of, um, uh, you can filter out all the, all the, the nasty stuff and also the when you when it um sorry i'm looking here for when you're looking for the uh when it evaporates back uh it just forms pure distilled water interesting Mm -hmm. so i'll put this one to you robin because you know from the layperson standpoint we hear about these incredible you know breakthroughs We're, we're calling this a game changer you talked about the upside of it how long does it take from from a discovery like this a process like this to really see results in the real world. What, what are we talking about for time frame to see this in effect? Uh, well, right now we're, uh, we're, de- we're looking at developing uh, larger peel cells and peel cells are, are what we generate the electricity from. Uh, so we can find hydrogen and oxygen and a peel cell generates electricity and what you get out uh, the exhaust, if you will, is uh, distilled water. Uh, but we initially discovered this by accident. It was, you know, serendipity. I was making it uh, to upgrade uh, wood pulp, uh, actually. And we look, we found that kind of near the tail end of the, the COVID era, I suppose, in terms of a research standpoint, we were just starting to be allowed back in the lab full time. Uh, and to be perfectly transparent, we didn't quite understand what was going on for the first few months. And then once we understood it, then we keep on making better and better and better catalysts. Uh, and now we're at the point where we have one version that on less than a gram of catalyst, I can run a fuel cell uh, for four weeks straight. Uh, and that one that one is the one that uh, I think will, will really blow people's minds. Uh, the one that we have now is still very very cool uh but this one is just uh even more impressive and uh right now the the issue not even an issue we're just we uh looking at uh industry partners for for scale up and uh really we're we're trying to push this as quick as we can see who we can help and uh you know move on from there Game changer for the industry for sure. David, as a, a, um, an Edmonton-based company, it looks like, uh, Applied Quantum Materials. What does this mean for our province as a whole and, you know, our, our place in the world? So um, our company, Applied Quantum Materials, was a spin-off from the University of Alberta. And we uh, saw the innovation that uh, Robin had developed and they approached us. And so we decided to create a new company. The new company is called um, Dark Matter Materials. And um, the implications for this are actually quite enormous because um, we've already been contacted by a municipal, uh, a city, a municipal uh, uh, in the U.S. for wastewater treatment. Uh, we've been contacted by a company uh, in India for a cement factory. 
um, to produce hydrogen to you know use their kilns um, backup power supplies in uh, Africa uh, some customers have already asked us uh, whether or not uh, we can look at this as a combustion and like a hydrogen combustion engine to compete with electric vehicles so the op- opportunities are enormous and as Robin mentioned, we need to find the right partners and the right companies to um, to grow this new business opportunity. Um, it's going to make a major impact in um, uh, our our use of energy. Very interesting times, great technology, and looking forward to what it brings. Uh, thank you so much for your time, gentlemen. We appreciate it. Great. Thanks right. for having us. Have okay. a good day. You too. Robin Hamilton, U of A Senior Research Associate, Faculty of Science and Chemistry, and David Anchenyak, CEO and co-founder of Applied Quantum Materials Incorporated. I guess we'll see what happens, but good things happening in our province. It's great news for sure. And, uh, you know, we continue to be an industry leader in so many different ways in so many different parts of this energy world. Yeah, it's fine to talk about diversifying, but we hear these stories, you know, Mm -hmm. a handful of times a week on our program. So thumbs up for that. Absolutely.